0: Hello, space nerds. Welcome to Raktageno and Rootbeer, a Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Matthew.
1: And I'm Michael.
0: On this podcast, we are reviewing every Deep Space Nine episode from the pilot to the finale. It'll be so exciting, it's going to give you umox. Pull up a chair and join in the discussion over some Raktageno and Rootbeer. If you would like to contact us, set hailing frequencies to rrds9podcast at gmail.com today on the show we're going to review season four episodes three and four the visitor and Hippocratic Oath. Hmm. Michael, why don't you give us a synopsis of the first one, The Visitor. Sure,
1: we begin on a rainy night always a good start and and a very very old Jake Sisko is uh, alone in his home in in Louisiana I believe Yes. and there's a knock on a door and he enters it's a young lady named Melanie who is a a wannabe writer and mm-hmm. he is now a, a kind of slightly forgotten but still famous writer and she wants to know why he stopped writing so many years ago uh... Mm-hmm. after his father uh... died so he begins to tell her the story there was an accident um, aboard DS9, and uh, Benjamin Sisko suddenly vanished, mm-hmm. and then over the years he kept rematerializing in front of Jake, and yeah, and it's this bizarre thing where um, he's kind of stuck in time, but he's still linked to Jake Sisko, and he describes it as like an elastic band, and whenever the time between them gets, the the band gets taught, it sort of propels uh, Benjamin Sisko back into whatever present time uh, Jake is in. So this will continue, and, 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 uh, and it was just too much for him. He never got over his father. He was trying to get his father back. And uh, the, the same night that he's telling the story, he's, he's realized that his father will rematerialize again. And if he cuts the link, as in if he dies as an old man, then it will send his father uh, back in time. Uh, the end.
0: Oh, that was, okay. Yes. That yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did a short one. That was a good synopsis. So, how did you feel about this episode?
1: I loved this episode very yeah. much. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I think good. I think this is um, this is science fiction kind of firing on all cylinders for me. When you you have this beautiful metaphor of uh, not being able to let go of uh, of the loved one who just died, yeah, uh, and the metaphor is it's built around this this uh, science fiction conceit of him being kind of stuck in his own time and then yeah. drifting back and forth, and this me- and uh, Benjamin Sisko constantly telling Jake live your own life, like just move on and enjoy yeah. everything day to day. Stop obsessing over me and and this total failure of Jake to do that um he kind of have his has his moments and then he can't and it's sort of never really being able to let go of someone uh, yeah. which i i think it's an absolutely beautiful episode yeah um, yeah it's great yeah what did you think of it
0: oh yeah I loved it I was sobbing at the end you know yeah. i thought it was very beautifully done and it is it's basically a ghost story mm-hmm. but a science fiction ghost story as you said it's it's nice when a science fiction conceit kind of or concept creates something that has an emotional resonance like this, which is the idea of when someone dies that we struggle with knowing whether to let them go or mm-hmm. whether to hold on to them. Mm-hmm. Whether, to hol- whether holding on to them is a sign of how much we love them. Or whether letting them go is a sign of how much we love them.
1: Yeah, know? and 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 this need to this idea that the person you're trying to let go would not want you to keep to keep obsessing over them. That yeah. they would want you to live your own life and enjoy your own life, and that's ultimately the best thing you can do to remember someone. Yeah, is, is to hold them in your heart, but
0: then to actually continue living. Well, and what what was interesting about the episode as well was. This conflict, this the conflict was, you know, in a normal situation, letting go of your father would be the right thing to do. But mm-hmm. Jake was also aware that his father was in some ways trapped. Yeah. So for him, for him, the most loving thing he could do was to say, no, I'm going to work as hard as I can to mm-hmm. try to save you. Like, what else could I do? I can't. Mm-hmm leave you and but the only thing his father can think of is no just live your own life don't spend all these years trying to save me yeah you know it's 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 not worth it and uh and you know in the end uh jake gives like his conflict is resolved by giving himself completely to his father. Yes. And, yeah.
1: Uh, Which I found it's it's a very eerie ending um, because he's that whole world that they're living in where he's he's an established writer. He has a, a one novel, one collection of short stories, and an unfinished novel, I believe.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and there's a woman, Melanie, who comes to visit him. All that would be wiped away. Yeah. yeah. I mean it's very it's very strange. Sure. And 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 also the Benjamin Cisco seems to remember exactly what's what's gone on and he can never t- tell the young Jake
0: about it, right? Yeah. I mean it's very eerie. Um but it's in some ways it's like a vision, seeing a vision of the future mm-hmm. and it not necessarily being true, but this is one possible future. And so it could affect how uh uh not jake Sisko. Mm. <laughs> captain Sisko. what's it ben Sisko? i ben, forgot his yeah. name there for a second uh it could affect how ben Sisko treats his son how he thinks yeah. about his son and yeah i know it's it's I mean, a very it, powerful there's, episode
1: there's also this idea that he was such a, a successful writer because he channeled this this missing father, you know, that this horrible thing that happened to him gave him, sort of propelled his writing in a, in a way.
0: Sure, we don't no, know that. He doesn't say we, that.
1: No, no. I thought it might have been implied, um, which I found really,
0: really uh, kind of disturbing too. <laughs> well, he doesn't say that because he says that he kind of got over his father and that's what enabled him to write was right. that he went to Pennington and everything. He, like, flopped around for a few years and then did uh, mm-hmm. the of short stories and that it was actually like obsessing about his father that prevented him from writing Mm -hmm. and it was they have that conflict that between living life and writing about it you know that whole scene where Jake wants to write some more and and Ben is like no 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 come see the wormhole you know you have to live life yeah and uh, stick your head
1: out of the sand every now and then yeah. yeah so there's
0: like that balance between working and Mm -hmm. living you know what particularly if you're a writer your material is out of your life the part Mm -hmm. you lived but uh you also need to write you know so it is it is a strange balance sometimes when you need to you want to try to make it
1: i guess we can sort of dip into the episode um in, in, in detail but first of all uh, Tony Todd, the actor I saw play, who used to play Worf's brother on yeah. TNG, plays Her. the plays the elder uh, Jake Sisko which I yeah. thought was great. I think he's really terrific. Yeah. Um, and Sirik Lofton in this just kills it. He is such a good actor. Yeah. Uh, and Avery Brooks as well. Oh I mean, yeah, they all, did a great job. And um, my partner Jane pointed out there's that there's a really brief scene later on where. Where uh, Nana Visitor, uh, as Major Kira, is basically te- telling Jake Sisko, like, you have to leave the station. At, at, yeah. this, at this point, the, uh, with, with Sisko gone, um, the Bajorans are kind of freaked out about the, the Klingon presence. And they're signing uh, a mutual defense pact with, with the Cardassians. Yes, yes. And things are really falling apart for the Federation there. And they have to evacuate the station. And, uh, and but that's where, that's where Jake continues to see his father so he doesn't want to leave. And then there's a really brief scene where Kira says, you know, if I tell you to go, you have to go. And it's really, really good, like really good acting yeah. from her.
0: Yeah, you know, it was, it was a very emotional scene. And, you know, I've said in the past that I hate episodes where, where characters die and it's a uh-huh. fake death and everyone's like, uh, fake crying. Yeah. I felt that everyone really felt the scenes of uh, Ben dying. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't know what it was, but there was something about, maybe it's through Sarah Clopton that, you know, they, they could have, I don't know. There was just something, there was something more authentic about those scenes. And like, hmm like many of the actors clearly look like they were crying when they were filming the scenes you know it it did have a power to it
1: there's even a way there's a very another brief scene with Quark where uh, Nog oh, yeah. w- wants to take Jake to the hollow suite to go island surfing just to because you know he's he's he, his friend is still mourning his father's presumed death Yeah, and Quark's like no Nog I need you to be a stock boy and uh, and then he realizes the situation and Quark says, well, okay, I'll take care of it. And you're yeah. like, oh, Quark, you're a good guy after you're not all. Just, you're not just a jerk.
0: <laughs> yeah. I do have to say, I hate old people makeup. I just hate it.
1: Oh, for... Um... For everyone. like,
0: yeah. uh, I didn't really like uh, Tony Todd's mm. uh, old person makeup. Mm. I didn't really love all of the cast's old person makeup. Julian Bashir once again old acting like okay. an
1: old person. Okay,
0: who? Yeah, it's hard to act as an old person. Who do you think pulled it off the best in this episode? I don't know. Maybe Dax. I don't know. I don't. I don't really know. It just
1: that. Okay, I did. I really like the. She had kind of a Susan Sontag uh, gray streak in her hair. Yeah, one or two. And I and I did like I I did like the the old. Person bickering between <laughs> between Dax and Bashir, like an yeah. old married couple. Yeah. She's like, Stop prattling on about your grandchildren or whatever. Yeah. I thought that was well done. What I really, really enjoyed was seeing uh, Captain Nog. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Nog made his way through the Federation. He is presumably the first Frankie captain. Yeah, And uh, he's stuck by his friend, and, he's, and they're on board the old Defiant. I thought that that was a really nice touch.
0: Yeah, it was it was really sweet, and uh, Nog played the role. Um, in he he had changed his character; his character changed to become more captain-like, mm. which was appreciated as well. He wasn't the same uh, weedy little kid, right? You know, so that was enjoyable, and it was enjoyable to see them as you know friends throughout the years. It 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 is. You know, we all have friendships with a Weirdo, mine is with you, you yeah. know. And it's what it's nice when we can keep our friendships with our weirdos throughout <laughs> our lives. You oh, know? well, they, you're my favorite weirdo, too. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah. uh, sometimes those weirdos
1: become uh, Federation Starship captains. It's
0: true, it's true. <laughs> you should hold on to the weirdos, they might actually become very successful. Well, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I don't have a huge thing. Oh, we should also mention that. Uh, Melanie is hmm. Andrew Robinson, and he's the actor that plays Garrick. It's his daughter who's playing. Oh, um, really?
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's neat. And and obviously the whole Melanie, Melanie uh, Jake Sisko plot was you know, it's like a little framing device to get Jake to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of supposed to be reminiscent of like visiting J.D. Salinger or someone else, like a reclusive writer like right. that, and uh, right. and apparently J.D. Salinger, this happened where like someone just found him and came to his door, and yeah. he was like, "Okay, sure, I'll do an interview with you because you found me," <laughs> you know. So it's I, sort of similar in that respect. I read
1: somewhere uh, someone was talking about how Thomas Pynchon is a recluse, and Thomas Pynchon's like, "I'm not a recluse. You can look me up in the phone book. You know? <laughs> I just, I just don't do interviews," you know. Yeah.
0: And, I also enjoyed when they showed the covers of Jake's books. Hmm. They had like a Nintendo Game Boy screen, in yeah. Them. Like just, just for fun. Well, you aren't, you,
1: aren't you happy that people are still reading
0: books? Yeah, I think this is maybe not the truest thing ever, <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice that there's an imagined uh, bunch of readers for hmm. for these books. I think.
1: Um, I think. In the end, I I I just there's a scene again where where uh, the elder Jake says that he's a successful author, you know, and he but he can't enjoy it because he says because he says everything I've done it's sort of meaningless because I don't have my father back. I just thought that that was such
0: a yeah a a brutal line. That's so sad. Um, Yeah, and uh, it was pointed out in the notes that the you know, a lot of shows, when they would do this sort of thing, you know, someone trapped in space or time, it would be a mm-hmm. romantic subplot. And this isn't a romantic subplot, it's about a father and a son. Mm. Oh, and, uh, and... <laughs> sorry. Oh, sorry, Matthew and I are,
1: <laughs> we're looking at two birds being romantic <laughs> yes. on, a, on a branch <laughs> outside his window right now. we were kind of in shock. <laughs> Oh my gosh! There they go. Okay. So you were saying about you were saying about this romantic plot. So know. it's a father son relationship instead, and I think it works so well because one of the one of the best things about uh, Deep Space Nine is the relationship between uh, Jake and Benjamin.
0: Yeah, and the the chemistry between the two actors they clearly like working with one another they they kind of have a almost a father son relationship and like more of mm-hmm. a mentor mentee kind of relationship with mm-hmm. Avery Brooks and Sir Rock Lofton. So they have really good chemistry, and then uh, Avery transfers this chemistry over chemistry over to Tony Todd as well. And it it just we all know the feelings of loving a parent, and uh, for some of us, you know, we've lost a parent or or we, um, we've had some loss in our life that resembles this. And so we can all connect to it. We can all connect to that idea of mm-hmm. someone who is so integrally a part of us that when they're gone, we just can't even fathom it. It just feels like a part of us mm-hmm. is missing. And, uh, and that's why I think it's so powerful. And it doesn't have to be... And that's kind of the greatness about the fact that it's not a romantic relationship. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, oh, you know, you're the one for me. It's no, this is my father. This is, he's not necessarily like the only person in my life, but he's so important to me as a person, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that really grounds the episode because it does some kind of almost over the top. Elements to it when the episode begins it's in the dark and it's raining. Yeah, and when the episode ends It's sunny the sun's come out, and you know He's reunited with his father again, and so that that could be a little bit uh, Cliche feel too cliched or too cheesy in any other episode, but because the core um, Emotional relationship works so much and it resonates so well that that it actually uh, works in the episodes favor I think
0: yeah I think uh, just to wrap up this discussion, I'd like to mention a quote from Avery Brooks about this, and I think it was really interesting, and I, I feel like it's, it says a lot about some of the resonances in it. He says about the relationship between uh, Jake and his father, I'm glad that relationship is there. It is, even in the most naive mind, a sin of omission that we have not looked at this side of people raising their children in other television shows and having some cultural res- resonance other than that of white Americans, it's something that we have to see more often—the relationship of a brown man and his son, because historically that's not how, it, not how it began in this country for brown families who didn't have the freedom of their own will and volition, let alone the ability to hold their families together.
1: Huh. Oh, that's interesting.
0: So it is. Um, you know, I think it's interesting what Avery says there, and I think that is yeah. an added element to it. You know, And I think it's it's a beautiful part of the resonance of the, mm. the show.
1: Should we move on to... Um, that was a really good episode. I don't know how we're
0: going <laughs> to... Yeah, it was <laughs> what, a very good episode. We... It's like everything after that is not yeah. necessarily as good.
1: So. <laughs> well, please. well, why don't you uh, give a synopsis for hip, uh, Hippocratic
0: Oath? Okay, so in this episode, it starts off with Bashir and Miles. And they are, for once again, some reason in the Gamma Quadrant. Who knows why? I don't, just hanging out. Just hanging out, doing a survey of a planet, and once again, there's something interesting that they decide to investigate. Mm. I think I'm just gonna push in here with a little bit. Maybe stop investigating things in the Gamma Quadrant. Or maybe... or maybe have a, an escort of yeah. the starship. <laughs> or yeah. Or the don't do it. Planet. Don't do it in a runabout. So anyway, they go to investigate some magnetonic mm. pulse or something, and they crash land on a planet. Uh, the, are, they are quickly captured by Jemadar, hmm. and it looks like they're going to be summarily executed, but when Bashir mentions that he's a doctor, the head Jemadar, named a Garang, uh, Great his, name. Yeah, great name, takes him aside and says, uh, I want you to find a replacement for the drug that all the gems are, are addicted to, and in this episode it's revealed that it's called Ketracell White. And he says, if you do, it's gonna enable us to become independent beings who can think freely. Bashir is kind of won over by uh speeches, mm-hmm. but Bashir, that's that old paranoid Suspicious mind does not believe them, and it just constantly looks for a way to escape. O'Brien, right? Yeah, I said the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Miles doesn't like the Cardis, doesn't like the Geminar, You know, he's a little <laughs> xenophobic. <laughs> yeah. So he wants to leave this planet. They have various adventures, and Bashir eventually tells Miles, "No, we cannot. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna help them. I'm gonna follow my Hippocratic oath." And try to save these Gemini from the kind of chemical prison they are trapped in. Mm-hmm. Miles disobeys a direct order, zaps and destroys all of Bashir's uh, scientific research, and then uh, they go to escape on the escape on the runabout. Mm. Before they manage to escape, Garangar finds them, and it looks like. Everything is lost, but it turns out that Grangagar just wants to let them go for some reason related to honor or something, Mm -hmm. and he does. They leave, and uh, Miles and Bashir have a little moment about the fact that Miles basically disobeyed a direct order. The B-plot in this is a little conflict between Odo and Worf Mm -hmm. about how to deal with that scamp quirk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh we'll leave it at that we'll explore it a little bit more as we go through but
1: so what what did you think of this episode
0: i thought it was okay i felt i felt there was something missing mm. in it i felt that i don't know i i was much more interested in the odo uh Wharf subplot than i was in the geminar subplot mm. and i don't know i don't really know why i didn't well, you, it. it might have also been that I was emotionally exhausted from the visitors. So, yeah. that was a possibility. So, well,
1: why would you like to
0: start with the the B plot in this? Sure. I like that I like the B plot mm-hmm. because it showed the the kind of as Cisco says at the end, there's unwritten rules to working on the station. And there's like a whole network of relationships set up. And Worf is coming in, and he's going. This is just not running the way a starship would run. Right. So why don't why aren't you running it that way? And he becomes angry and annoyed at everything that Odo is doing. And they do a nice job of making Odo look basically incompetent for the first half of the episode. Yeah. And then when Oda when Worf breaks in, it's revealed that no Odo had it all under control, and Worf is just. A, a jerk with no ability to they, trust another person.
1: Yeah, they're really laying on a bit thick in this, cause, because I think Cisco or somebody tells Worf, he's like, you know, the Enterprise, maybe everything was in black and white, but on Deep Space Nine, it's all gray. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah, and it's
0: probably, <laughs> that was probably for some of this the, the uh, viewers, you know, yeah. possibly the viewers that are coming over. With oh, Worf. from with, with Worf, and they're yeah. like, "What the heck?" Yeah, yeah, what the heck? This is so weird, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, I I agree with you though. I really like the Beat Um and I thought I mean Michael Dorn's great. I thought he did a great job. Yeah, yeah, um, he's a great
0: actor. Yeah. He's a great character. He's
1: very good at looking annoyed.
0: <laughs> yeah, through all of that makeup, you know, like yeah. that's that's uh like he has to wear a lot of makeup over his eyes, which mm-hmm. is a big part of you know, how you, you make expressions.
1: And, yeah. and and I just like how they kind of ramp it up, where even Cisco tells him, like, Odo knows what he's doing, just stay out of his way. You're, yeah. You are no longer chief of security here. Right? Yeah. And uh, Worf is just... He's just so personally, like, invested in this, he yeah. just
0: can't let go. And it does look like Odo doesn't care, you know? Mm-hmm. There's a... Let's scene where Worf is, like, watching the mm-hmm. the transactions going on, and mm-hmm. he's like, what is oh who's that doing anything why isn't he surveilling and mm-hmm. then of course it's revealed that he was surveilling the entire time he was probably a plant or glass or something <laughs> yeah. and uh you know and uh, it, it makes everything makes sense at the end right? You know, the little and reveal and it's cute and he was going to be the bag and yeah. he carried it over to the ship and, and all the stuff and... And, ab- and apparently
1: Quirk is his snitch now
0: yeah <laughs> yeah. his yeah.
1: bait informant
0: yeah Quirk is his uh, stool pigeon yeah so I but I like that. I liked that you know it's it's like whenever whenever you start a new job mm-hmm. and you're like this system is crazy whenever you're like looking at the way people run things. Yeah. And you always have to resist that first urge to go I want to change everything and do it my way mm-hmm. because there's clearly a reason why people run things the way they do mm-hmm. and yeah, it was a nice little. It's a little workplace. Uh, it was
1: like in an episode of The Office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a moment actually when Worf is talking to Cisco, and Cisco's working on a clock or oh, a sundial or something. Is that the same clock? It's from... a crazy
0: person's clock. Yeah. Is it really? That's when he went uh, wacky, wacko, and he built that clock. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I thought it might be, but it looked. It looked like less complicated. Yeah. Than, uh, like he dialed it back to a sundial. Yeah. Um
0: <laughs> as for the Jemadar, I think the problem was I didn't un- I didn't quite believe the shifting uh there was so many reasons presented as to why the Jemadar weren't going to like just kill them. And all the reasons started to seem very vague and not realistic. Mhm. Like I feel like they would just kill them. Like just like, they would just kill them, you know?
1: Yeah, the the um, I think the most I, I I like the ethical dilemmas that they're in. Yeah, I, I, I think like that, that they're episode. really interesting in that episode. I like yeah. the idea that you have a Gem who, for whatever mutation, um, is, is 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 not addicted to white, cat whatever Ketracel white. white. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's shows you that this uh, substance is like this dependency that they have is not giving them an open mind it, it it's and that they're actually maybe capable of it although they're still like violent and aggressive yeah um but i i i, I like i liked the the issues between o'brien <laughs> the, the xenophobic o'brien and bashir following the hippocratic oath because they've they've been building up this friendship between the two yeah uh, for a few episodes. I mean, this is all about the rehabilitation of Bashir. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and and moving Bashir away from uh, Garrick towards O'Brien for that friendship. But, but this is like irreparable damage. This is brutal what O'Brien did.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, O'Brien disobeyed a direct order mm-hmm. and that's a big thing. Like, as O'Brien says, you could bring me up on charges for this. Like, he could have technically be kicked out of uh starfleet for mm-hmm. for doing that and you know i they kind of they kind of deal with that at the end with the discussion on the runabout where they're like a little mad but they're going to be over it in a couple of they're days they're going to
1: play their dumb dark game three yeah. days from then instead of that night yeah yeah something like that
0: so that was a little I. Th- I feel like it should have left, been left on a little bit more of a negative note but hmm. they you know they kind of want to always reset everything back to zero because they want it there is a continuous storyline but they also want it to be a little bit yeah. episodic as well yeah. you know So yeah I think the ethical dilemma was a good one it's a it is always an interesting one where you're the whole idea of They're brainless killers, so we don't have to help them. Or they're sentient beings, and we do have to help them from, basically, help them escape a system of slavery. Yeah. You know? And and there are definitely arguments for both sides, you know? They have been genetically engineered. They're not like regular slaves in the sense that they were sentient beings that were enslaved by the Mm -hmm. founders. They were genetically created by the founders to be in this way, so we don't really know what Mm -hmm. they're... Their mental capacity is, so they might. I mean, we be they, they touch, killers. Yeah,
1: they touch on they touch on it when they found a child who and and Odo tried to look after him and and he eventually took off from the station and he's still somewhere in the Alpha Quadrant beating people up. We don't know. <laughs>
0: he's, there, I think he went. To, I think he went through to the Gamma Quadrant. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but <laughs> but yeah, it's. um it's it's interesting. It was also interesting. We got to find out about some of the, the beliefs of the Geminar, mm-hmm. particularly in regards to the founders and the Vorta. Mm-hmm. The Vorta are basically the middlemen, and they are the ones who interact between the founders and the Geminar. But and uh, the Geminar aren't even sure that the founders exist or not. Yeah, yeah, they just always interact with the Vorta. So it is. It's this this whole structure of the society is being fleshed out more and we're getting an idea of, of how it all works, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But yeah, I mean, that Grangagar, I mean, if I was one of his men, I'd shoot him. I'd just shoot him. I'd shoot him and I'd shoot the stupid humans and I'd leave the planet. There was, I mean, there was that one s- smart guy who
1: kept wanting to do that. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, let's just kill him. Let's kill this guy. This yeah. isn't working. And
0: Yeah, I don't know why they wouldn't have killed Miles. Yeah. There's just no way they wouldn't have killed him. I just... That that was, I guess, the, the stumbling block for me that prevented me from like, really, mm-hmm. really enjoying the episode was they were making too many excuses for why they were keeping Miles alive. And it was really just so that Miles and Bashir could have... Well, I mean, it's also because they don't want to kill Miles, but it was so that Miles and Bashir could have their discussion.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So... Well. Yeah, I mean, it was. It's fun to see the Geminar, those um, alien rhinoceros who like to. who are addicted to basically liquid cocaine that's injected into their necks. <laughs> 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 um, so I, I like that part of it. I love the B plot. I love uh, Odo getting annoyed at people. So mm. uh, this episode was actually directed by Odo. Oh yeah! Uh, apparently, he was supposed to get. A, he was supposed to direct the, the visitor episode, but they had to switch it, and I don't think he was very happy about that. No, because it's, it's probably not. Yeah. yeah, as exciting to direct this episode as the other one, and uh has is been previously on Deep Space Nine as TOSK. Oh, um,
1: which is interesting because TOSK was like. The Gem Hadar, yeah. It's like a, and and there's an idea. Wasn't there an idea that the founders kind of created TOSK as
0: well? Well, we don't know. There's kind of there's an implication hmm. that maybe they created the TOSK for um, for those other those hmm. weird aliens that had the sh- the. The shower, uh, transporter system where they'd like suddenly go, I love
1: those. Things. <laughs> those things are great. That was, uh, I still like that. That was like some really good 1950s sci-fi, uh, aesthetic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, you know, just to go back to the beginning again, why do they investigate anything in the Gamma Quadrant? No. Just stop investigating things. Or, in
1: or, or just don't go in with the
0: runabout. Just, yeah, you know, take the defiant. Take the defiant. Or just don't go at all. But maybe it's easier to borrow runabouts. We've seen that uh, uh, Ben just gives them out (laughs) willy-nilly. You have some sort of project. Do you want to exact revenge on someone from your past? No problem. Then maybe there's a a little (laughs) checkbox for each one. Do you want to exact revenge on a former enemy? Check.
1: Oh, another... You destroyed another runabout? Earth has plenty of rivers to name
0: another (laughs) one. It's okay. We can can make another. Yeah, it'll just take a couple of weeks. Don't worry about it. (laughs) The Mississippi. Here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Or post-scarcity. The St. Lawrence. (laughs) Um... Yeah. So how, overall, how did you feel about the episode? I thought it, I thought
1: it was decent. It's a decent episode. Yeah, it's yeah. A decent. Yeah. I mean, it's really after, again after the visitor, which is such that's a classic. this yeah. uh, This one is a little bit of a come down, but yeah. But yeah, it was still good.
0: Okay. Anything further you want to add? No. Okay. Well, thanks again for listening. Uh, once again, if you want to send us an email, please do at rrds9podcast at gmail.com. Have a great week.